Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Nico Franks. Happy New Year. We hope you're safe and well, staying positive and testing negative. Today, we hear from the C21 editorial team to look ahead at what might be in store for the TV industry as we begin a new year. From new streaming services to the potential return of physical events, keep listening to get the down low on a year that, fingers crossed, will be a little less chaotic than 2020 was. Hello, Happy New Year. Joining me, I have C21 Editorial Director Ed Waller, Senior Reporter Carolina Kaminska, News Editor Clive Whittingham, and Drama Quarterly Editor Michael Picard. And we're going to look ahead to what might be in store for the TV industry this year. Hi, everyone. Hi, how are you doing? Hello. Hello. So be it yet more new streaming services uh, to the hopeful return to physical markets and conferences, there's lots that could happen this year, but uncertainty abounds as the pandemic rolls on. So we couldn't have been happier to see the back of 2020 but is it actually over the next 12 months that the impact of the various production shutdowns we saw in 2020, is it now that they're really going to start to bite for broadcasters and distributors? Um, Obviously, TV was one of the great saviors of 2020 and content was flying off the shelves. But like toilet roll back in March last year, is new programming going to be a scarcity? Uh, Or did production get back on track in time to avoid a shortfall? So you're all interviewing various execs and producers and TV industry insiders around the world. What are your thoughts on that? Let's start with you, Ed. Hi, Nico. Yeah, um, as you said, TV was a great saviour of 2020 and um, it uh, made lockdown a whole lot easier. I think one of the things that's worth reflecting about that lockdown period is, is not just that people were watching more TV, but they were watching more TV on the streaming platforms and different demographics that previously hadn't uh, fallen for the lure of, of on-demand streaming were doing so. I mean, the data from both sides of the pond reveals that uh, this this idea of the silver streamers, the, you know, the over 55s and even over 65s moving into streaming is, is a real trend. And that's obviously uh, one of the factors that's made streaming more mainstream last year. And last year, we saw all those studios restructuring their businesses to put streaming at the middle. And that's something we can come on to later. But as far as the, the production hiatus and the consequence of that from, from last year, everyone we've spoken to is, is predicting a shortage of drama this year, 2021, because even if production goes back on track to what it was last year there's been this massive hiatus that that won't be uh, filled anytime soon and so if you just look at the way that the US networks reacted to that shortage in the last fall their response will become more like what the international broadcasters will be doing this year I think so if you look at the way the US networks reacted to lockdown you know they went more towards international acquisitions they were buying shows from around the world you know transplant things like that that went over to the states taskmaster from the UK so they they pivoted from original production back into acquisition. They picked up shows from their from the streamers within their own uh, corporate group. And so they became almost like a second window to their own streaming service. And in some cases, like a promo vehicle for the shows that were yet to come onto their streamers. So the role of those US networks in the great sort of broadcasting ecosystem is changing. And as those US studios put streaming center stage, there's obviously the knock-on effect for that. 
that is that their linear channels are going to be sort of playing second fiddle to some degree to what happens on their streamers. Um, and in the cable world, obviously losing subs- subscribers, cord cutting, they're going to pivot towards lower cost content. Their, their advertisers are going to migrate elsewhere. So they'll be looking towards international acquisitions and reruns. So I think if you look at a microcosm of how the US networks reacted to this shortage, I think that's going to play out globally. And um, they will become sort of, as I say, second windows, second fiddle to, to their own streaming services and picking up uh, lower cost content and international acquisitions to fill the gaps. And Clive, I know in your conversations with distributors, they were saying to you that actually, you know, 2020, you know, making hay while the, the sun shines, but 2021 is when it's really going to start to bite and, and distributors might actually find themselves with, with a real lack of new programming. So in terms of, yeah, bottom line and when is now the time we potentially start to see, you know, businesses really start to start to suffer or is the recovery better than, than expected? It is interesting, isn't it? Um, the distributors um, that we speak to are often quite positive about uh, about 2021 and not having a shortage. Obviously, the, the drama I think we take as red is going to be a problem because that's going to take a long time to come back online. The unscripted content may be less so because it's easier to film, smaller budget, smaller teams, shorter turnarounds, things like that. So unscripted might be a bit of a saviour in, in 2021 because it can get up and running quicker and there's going to be more of it. What I do see coming down the pipe is we heard a lot over the summer that actually it was a really good time to be a distributor with a load of finished tape on your shelves because productions had fallen over, broadcasters still needed schedules to be filled. So they they went shopping and picked up things that they could get cheaply. You saw thing, deals like the Golden Girls going to Channel 5 and Channel 4 promoting back uh, seasons of Scrubs and things like that. Just stuff where there weren't really rights issues, the licence fees were, were small, large quantities. Buffy the Vampire Slayer went to Channel 4 as well. So you saw a lot of that. What I have heard from a couple of distributors and producers is that now all that finished tape is sold in a way. They've they've done that. You can't sell it again. Where's the new stuff going to come by the time we get to MIPCOM in whatever form that is? If all the back catalogue has been sold and you haven't been able to get into production on, on new stuff, then what? And there's a mixture of different levels of optimism and pessimism. Some people you talk to say, oh, no, it won't be a problem. We did loads of we just did loads of post-production during lockdown and now we're back up and running and everything's brilliant and and others are more pessimistic i i, I do often remind myself that um if somebody's having a bad time or is uh, particularly worried about uh, their situation at the moment their pr probably wouldn't put them up for interview so you're bound to get a more optimistic point of view if people uh, if people are willing to talk to you so we'll just have to wait and see how uh, rosy that picture is i guess by sort of october time this year whether there is that that dearth of content because even where productions are up and running now there are big cost implications for all the testing you need to do the extra time it takes getting people onto and off the set things are taking longer to film they're more expensive to produce so there's bound to be a knock-on effect at some point you would think there's just not going to be as much content produced as there was previously and we'll know we'll feel the pinch by October I would would be my prediction we'll know whether it's going to be a problem or not by then I tend to think that the that this year the distributors are in for a, a reasonably good year I fall on the side of optimism on this this question um if you're a distributor now yeah i hear what clive said about you know all the back catalog you've licensed out 
out there. You did all that last summer. But if you look ahead to this year, how it's going to play out, because of the fact that all the studios have moved so far into streaming, that means there's less Hollywood content to compete with if you're a distributor. There's more platforms to sell to, more channels and platforms looking to what acquisitions they can get their hands on because their original production plans have, have had to go on hiatus or at least delayed. Whatever back catalogue you do have left is more valuable. And in terms of whatever does get over the line in terms of new make, new production, that's going to have such a massive value because there's so many platforms and channels that all want a piece of it. So anything that does get over the line is going to be much more valuable. The license fees are going to be much higher than they were previously. Uh, throw into the into that equation the fact that so many channels are now into co-production and having to go into co-production because of the challenges of original production. Um, so there, you know, that usually involves a distributor as a sort of go-between piecing together all this co-pro finance. So the role of the distributor in the co-production model is, is becoming even more important. And then just add to that the fact that they're going to have much lower exhibition costs because they're not shipping all this cardboard and tape and everything and people to an event every two or three weeks. So I, I, I tend to be quite optimistic about distribution in 2021. We're writing news, obviously, every day. Clive, you're editing that news. And sometimes it's, it's hard to see the wood for the trees. But I feel like towards the end of 2020, if I was writing about a new show being commissioned, it was inevitably a Netflix commission. And it feels like, yeah, there weren't that many new commissions coming out of, in terms of announcements coming out from lots of other sources. It, it was mainly Netflix. Is that fair? To pick up on Ed's point and, and to answer your question in, in one, if license fees are going to go up, and obviously the streamers are paying huge money for, for their original productions and raising standards that uh, other broadcasters have got to compete with. And like we say, if there is any production shortage, that's going to drive license fees up. If you have got finished tape, that's going to be very valuable. That's true. But there's going to be a huge economic collapse, you would think, coming. There's going to be recession around the world after all of this. So I'm interested to see how these broadcasters are going to pay. How can they compete with the streamers and how are they going to pay these raised license fees? You you know where's that money coming from the ad market they were they were struggling anyway and in a way this has accelerated an issue that was happening anyway with the streamers able to just completely blow traditional broadcasters out of the water with budgets where's that money coming from are we going to see mo uh, more collaboration between linear broadcasters who maybe at one time would have considered each other a competitor are they now going to be clubbing together to try to come up to these standards that the streamers are setting and also meet these raised license fees it looks if you're a broadcaster, a linear broadcaster next year that relies on the ad market for the bulk of your income to spend on programming, 2021 this year, it's, it's going to be very challenged, I think. And I think we'll see more and more creative deals like co-productions with multiple partners rather than straight commissions. I just I don't see linear broadcasters spending a lot of money on on single linear commissions, particularly in drama um, in, in this climate. So physical events were one of the things we missed most in 2020 from March onwards. How do we feel about the potential success of the various COVID-19 vaccines that are out there? How do we see that affecting the international TV market calendar this year? Are we optimistic that obviously maybe not this quarter, but there are a few events who are hoping to have physical events in the second quarter of 2020. How optimistic do we feel about those going ahead? I think providing the vaccine is a success and crowds are allowed to gather again, the markets will be up and running again for sure. I mean, every, everyone's been saying how easy it's been to have virtual meetings, and I definitely think that will be a game changer. There will undoubtedly be a bigger virtual presence going forward. But most people I've been talking to have also been saying how much they've missed going to physical events. 
um, and seeing people face to face. And it's not, it's just not quite the same when you're looking at somebody through a computer screen. So I think maybe some of the smaller events will struggle to make a comeback if people think it's easier to just participate online rather than actually making the effort to go there. But the big ones for sure will be back with a vengeance, I think. Yeah, fingers crossed. And and Mike, a big part of Drama Quarterly is your, your famed set visits where you get to uh, hop on a plane and uh, go to an exotic part of the world and see, see a new glossy international drama being filmed. How long until you feel like you're going to be allowed back on set? Yes, yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. It's definitely one of the, uh, the perks of my job, getting to uh, waltz around uh, three by five plywood sets and uh, you know, eat with the, the cast and crews of these you know, multi-million pound productions. Uh, so it's, it's definitely something I've missed over the past 12 months. Um, you know, as, as for when it happens, I mean, I would be self-deprecating to say that I'm, I'm sure I'm not the, anywhere near the top of you know, the, the list of, of people who need to be on a set at the moment. So I'm, I'm quite realistic about the fact that I probably won't be going for a little while. I mean, having said that, it, it has been mentioned to me a couple of times about, do I want to come on set or are you are you doing set visits at the moment? So it's certainly something that, that people are considering. And and obviously, you know, they want the publicity for their shows. I want to write about the shows for my audience and, and for C21's audience across the wider business. So um, it's sort of, you know, hand in hand partnership that these things will probably happen again at some point, whether that's with a mask uh, sooner rather than later or not, I, I would say say probably not just because of productions they're so delicate at the moment they're, they're mini ecosystems of bubbles and testing and and colored bands denoting where you're allowed to go in in various parts of the studios that um i think a, a bunch of journalists turning up would <laughs> probably upset that somewhat but um it, it has been done and i know there, there have been some virtual set visits taking place which um have been a, an interesting concept to say the least so it's not quite back to the old days yet but um i mean hopefully it won't be too far away um i mean as for the actual events as well I was looking forward to a bumper year in 2020 with various events to go to for the first time that I hadn't been to before and you know that was obviously washed away Berlin uh, is already on my calendar for February I think that's probably going to be a bit optimistic to to imagine I'll be going to Berlin one year after my last trip which was Berlin early, um, earlier in 2020 having said that series mania has been pushed back to June uh, end of May June time uh, so they're probably feeling quite optimistic that they might be able to have people on the ground but having said that there were people in Cannes um, in October for Cannes series um, and there was a live event happening there so it is possible um, it's just whether the audiences and, and particularly people in the industry are, are going to be willing to, to sign up and, and fly just yet I think you're probably right in that you know the later part of 2021 is probably when we'll start seeing the crowds gather again once the, the vaccine works its way through the through the various populations I think it, it's worth mentioning that even though there is this need to go go face to face and I, I hear what Carolina said about that and distributors and buyers have, have said that to us many many times they need to get face to face but I think you, when you get into later in this year I think the distributors will enjoy the fact that they're not paying to go to these events you know the, the bean counters will have a case you know we survived COVID without going to all these events do we need to go to so many events in 2021 and I think they might have some sway whether or not you know discounting the reluctance of people to get on planes and and, and go face to face even with masks and vaccines I think the, the bean counters in the, in the um, distribution companies will have a strong argument to say well do we need to economically financially can we afford to um and i think that they might you know they might win win the case you know they might say well let's go to one or two and not 15 like we did in 2019 yeah just to add to that um i would just say you know i spoke to one executive who said he traveled i think i think he said about 20 weeks in 2019 which just sounds insane and uh, you know there'll definitely be a reduction but then i think it just needs to be said that on a creative level the number of conversations i've had with people saying it's that 
creative you know serendipity you know that meeting in in the grand bar at one o'clock in the morning where you just have an idea and you know it breeds partnerships and co-productions um i don't think that sort of element of the x factor of making tv shows can be played down so i definitely think that if events happen you know the crowds will go it's just a case of how many and how often would you then go to other events it's um it's going to be a, a balancing act for sure the other thing to consider with this is obviously diversity and uh, diversity of voice has been a huge theme was a huge theme in 2020 and the television industry we'd like to think would be making moves in that direction in 2021 the best way to get new faces involved and to get a foot in the door as a first-time producer is 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 face-to-face meetings and networking and and going to these events it, it's worked really well, I guess, over the last 12 months or so. We've discovered all sorts of things like Zoom and uh, online conferences, webinars. You know, we've got by, but it, it basically encourages you to talk to the people that you were talking to anyway, the people that are already in your contacts book. You don't make new contacts particularly. You don't network and find people you haven't spoken to before on Zoom. So the events circuit are very important is very important for that and, and needs to come back in some form that said we had already been having a discussion about the amount of money and also the environmental impact of the amount of traveling that television was doing i mean it had got to a point where i could be sending a reporter to an event every week of the year apart from christmas i think um we, we worked out that that was possible i think what you will see going forward is really good events are going to have to be really good really big and really valuable to justify people's time time, travel and expense because we have shown that the business can exist to a certain extent without them and we've all but we've all been to some uh, some pretty mediocre and dodgy events at, at times and some good ones as well obviously but I think moving forward you're not going to get away with just running an average event in a, an airport hotel in Prague or something like that it's going to have to be big valuable different really worthwhile and valuable going otherwise people are, as Ed says you know in a challenged economy people are just going to save their money we're going to take a break now and and afterwards, we're going to be talking about Discovery Plus and also trends and New Year's resolutions for this year. Discovery Plus is the latest streaming service to launch in the US this week. And David Zaslav, the Factual Giants CEO, made sure to hype up the new streamer last month, describing it as the most distinct, clear and unique streamer ever. And he really emphasized the fact that it won't have any scripted content on it, just specializing completely in factual and what they called real life content. Clive, you're a factual expert. What do you rate the chances of Discovery Plus's success? I'm torn, to be honest. Uh, um, because I'm not sure, I'm not sure much of the content I, I see heading onto it appeals to me personally. However, I've been covering Discovery. Discovery were basically the first company on my patch when I joined C21 10 years ago. And their strategy all the way through has been really clear that it's an IP play. David Zaslav is ma- always talks about IP and they paid a whole load of money to buy scripts a few years ago, not really because they wanted a whole load more US cable nets on their roster, although they did get that, but because scripts had hun- literally hundreds of thousands of hours of unexplored uh, of library content that had not been exploited around the world. So David Zaslav described that at the time as an IP play, and that's been their strategy all the way through to produce their own programming, to own all the rights to that programming, to have this huge catalogue and have a load of IP, which of course lends itself to then having a streamer, which uh, they've now got. The other thing that David Zaslav is very big on, which lends itself well to streaming, is they're producing content not 
to try and attract 10, 15 million audiences to one show on one night. They produce programming for what they call super fans. So if you're a, a car enthusiast, they will have your favorite show. If you're a golf enthusiast, they've got your favorite channel. And that lends itself really well to streaming because you don't need a broad or you don't need a big audience. You just need a really committed audience that's willing to to pay per month for that content. Netflix say all the time, we're not going to tell you how many people watch our show. The strategy, we just want to have your favorite show on Netflix. As long as we've got your favorite show and you're willing to pay per month, the audience figures don't really matter. So both of those things, having a big IP library and super serving super fans of very specific content works really well in streaming so they've got a better they've got a better chance than most i would say the the broader issue is how many streamers can the market sustain and at what point do we reach saturation and either some fall by the wayside or we see consolidation and merger in streamers. I mean, at the moment, that looks a little way off. There's this big arms race at the moment. But at some point, because nobody is going to have 15, 16 subscriptions, are they? And once we've reached the point where everybody's got the subscriptions they want, then what happens? Suppose it is cheaper than a lot of other streaming services out there. And what struck me during the presentation in December was how they didn't really shy away from basically calling a lot of the content almost wallpaper content. It's programming that people would have on when they're doing other things in, in the home, which is kind of the opposite of how lots of other streamers have positioned themselves by saying, you know, this is a big scripted show. We're going to have the massive, you know, huge big name talent. This is going to be the, the show you're going to be appointment viewing. Whereas it feels like Discovery Plus is, is non-appointment viewing, which is an interesting potential gap in the market. If you look at some of the shows they've got, particularly on TLC and some of their home and garden stuff, shows like Fixer Upper and things like that, the fan base for that, whether... Is, is massive and they've also got they've got true crime channels and we know all about how addicted the the audience that is into true crime really is to that genre so whether it whether it's on in the background or not I, again I don't think it matters those people are, are so obsessed with shows like Dr. Pimple Popper on TLC that, that they will pay for it and they will watch multiple episodes back to back to back which again as we've seen with Netflix and other streamers is, is perfect perfect content for, for streamers I think Zaslav has been quite a with this because you know having an, a sort of uh, a genre based streamer in the factual world is, is not is not new curiosity streams been doing it for ages docu bay yaddo people like that i think by timing it to what some people might think is quite late in the streaming game i think he's he's timed it quite well because as i said earlier it's only now that older demographics are, are getting into this i mean obviously uh, sort of uh, over 55 and 60s might not necessarily be his uh, zaslav's target demo but they're the sort of people that will just watch things in the background uh, particularly these kind of factual shows documentaries about war and Hitler and all the rest of it that's the demographic that likes those kind of history documentaries so I think he's he's timed it quite well because you know some of those early iterations of, of streaming you know, might have come too early in the game you know d- despite last year being a, a streaming boom we saw the demise of things like Quibi and Hook and iFlix and services like that that were just didn't have enough original content or the, the marketing was bad or you know the whole the lockdown situation like Quibi didn't work for them. So I think Zaslav's been pretty canny in his timing, waiting until the market was not just big enough, but had the right demographics in it to launch a, a, a factually themed uh, streamer. And um, he's made it broad enough because, you know, some of the other factual streamers are quite, you know, they, they target a particular kind of show. Whereas I think Discovery Plus has got in everything from Attenborough, sort of high-end documentaries, all the way down to sort of lifestyle DIY stuff like Clive mentioned. Another thing that I think might come on the back of this is that 
um, just like 10, 15 years ago, when um, all the big cable channels started commissioning original factual shows, there was a big run on factual production companies. And, uh, you know, they, they were buying up their supply lines, basically. They didn't want to have to pay market rates. They wanted to own it. And I think maybe now that now that the, the streaming market's got big enough to house all, the, all these new streamers, particularly with uh, Discovery Plus, maybe there's a run on uh, high-end factual production companies. Last, you know, last year, the tail end of last year, we saw all three in silverback. You know, maybe there's maybe there's a new run on factual production companies in the pipeline for this year as as they all try and secure their pipelines. I mean, this goes back to the point I made in, in, the, in one of the previous questions about companies putting streaming at the center of their operations now. You know, we've seen it with Disney, Warner Brothers, NBC, massive restructuring, massive job losses, major pivot. And the same thing's obviously happening at, at Discovery. You know, that's going to have a tremendous impact on not just the distribution of Discovery product around the world. A lot of third-party broadcasters and platforms buy Discovery shows to put on their own platforms. They won't be doing that anymore. But it's obviously going to have a massive impact on Discovery's own linear channels. You know, they will they be the first window for shows? I don't think so. It'll be Discovery Plus now. And, and again, you know, the linear service becomes the sort of second window or the, the sort of promo service again for the for the streamer. And just as we've seen that with the US networks last fall, maybe we'll start seeing that with Discovery channels. They'll they'll the first window will go to the Discovery Plus service. So yeah, I think when when these big companies pivot towards streaming, it has a massive impact on the distribution of their product and the, the status of their linear channels. And could sports be the ace in the hand, particularly in Europe for Discovery Plus, because it's in Europe that it owns Eurosport, it has the rights to the Olympics this year. How big a part is that going to play in, in the potential success? I mean, again, they've, they've been really canny with the way they've gone into to sports because they haven't got involved in, say, the Premier League football bidding war because obviously the prices in that are, are just astronomical and you you only get a th- you only get a three-year deal for all the outlay you have to make you get three years of Premier League football at the end of the, that three years you have to bid again and, it, and it, it probably costs you more Discovery have shown no interest in, in going for that what they've gone for is again stuff that may not be mainstream but the people that are into it are massively into it super fans so things like cycling and golf they've uh, gone into it's affordable you can also do longer deals the deal they've done for the olympics is a 10-year deal so they've been re- they've been really canny on that sports in general is is going to be uh, is going to be a big thing this year to see how it all comes back the viewing figures even though everybody's been locked down with nothing to do you would think things like football nfl coming back would have been a big boom for broadcasters right but the lack of crowds the lack of people in the stadiums at these things has really affected the product and viewing figures basically across the board for all sports are massively down on what they would expect major league baseball found this major league soccer premier league viewing figures all of them down massively across but even though everybody's locked in their houses so it's really important for broadcasters this year that sport gets the product back to the level of where it was previously and and that's getting crowds back in stadiums as quickly as possible it's also worth mentioning that because of the sport went on hiatus sort of uh in the second quarter of, of last year not only did that you know had an impact on the audiences but it had an impact on the advertisers they were f- suddenly forced to spend their advertising dollars elsewhere and you know once they found a 
new place to spend their ad dollars, they might not necessarily come back to where they used to spend them. Another thing about sport is obviously there's been a massive boom in the sport documentary market. Now that ties into something that Clive mentioned earlier about finding a show that is somebody's favourite. It's tapping into those those uh, super fan niches. And, and if, if you're a fan of a particular football club or, or whatever, you know, a documentary about that sort of thing is, is is the kind of thing that might just keep your monthly subscription going. So maybe it'd be interesting to, to see the future of that genre. And it seems to be booming on, on the on the Netflixes of this world and something that I imagine Discovery Plus is going to move into big time. So if 2020 was the year advertising supported VOD and viewing via apps came of age, uh, what are we expecting will be big in 2021 apart from the vaccine? Something that that I think is going to be quite big and and I hope will be will 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 get bigger is um, international drama. Quite a few people I've spoken to have pointed out that COVID has been a bit of an eye opener when it comes to international and foreign language dramas um, because broadcasters and platforms have been in need of more content to fill gaps caused by delayed productions. They've been looking in new places for those programmes, including the international market, where they've realised there is a lot of good stuff to come from other countries that they might not really have picked up on before. Um, I think it will be nice to see more programmes coming from places other than the US and certainly quite a few people I've been talking to have have been saying similar things. Um, One of the producers behind Apple TV Plus's Tehran, um, Alon Aranya. That show, Tehran, comes originally comes from Israel and he was saying that COVID giving a platform to foreign language shows has been one of the positives to come out of a, a pretty awful year. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think we've, we'll see a lot more of that happening over the next 12 months. I mean, and just to follow on that, I think um, this year is going to be a big year for the, for the European Alliance. Um, we've sort of spoken a bit about how uh, linear broadcasters are going to react to you know the streaming wars that are ongoing and we've seen a bit of movement in the commissioning sort of teams, particularly in the UK at ITV and, and now at the, the BBC as well, about how they're pushing a, a small streaming focus. So this year, I think it's going to be a big uh, movement for the European Alliance that we saw launched a couple of years ago with ZDF, Rai and France Television, because in 2021, we're expecting two big shows from, from that group of broadcasters. We're expecting Leonardo, which is starring Paul Dark's Aidan Turner as the, the Renaissance uh, genius. So that's uh, coming out soon. And also around the world in 80 days which stars David Tennant and had to be shut down during the the Covid wave and is now back up in in, and running in filming so hopefully we'll see those two and I think those two we've seen shows come out of the alliance so far this year but I think those two will be a real marker in terms of how these productions are faring when they're based on on a group of public broadcasters coming together and and commissioning the same shows that hopefully they hope will rival um, the production qualities of of the streaming giants so um, that's one to to watch out for. I think uh, I I totally agree with that Mike Um, I think we see uh, an increased number of those sort of alliances. We've, I mean, obviously, there's the Nordvision Alliance in Scandinavia, otherwise known as N12, all the public networks in Scandinavia teaming together to pool resources to produce shows that um, are going to compete with the streamers. They already pool resources to buy shows. You know, we've got the um, the alliance that Mike mentioned. I'm interested in to see if whether other public networks or, or, or commercial networks in other parts of the world form similar, similar alliances. You know, last year, we also saw some Latin American broadcasters teaming up to get together to sort of develop and produce reality formats together. And, and these aren't even public broadcasters. These are commercial networks that previously would compete with each other. So I think I think that model of, uh, of teaming up to uh, afford bigger budgets to compete with what's on the streamers is, is something that will be replicated around the world and by other broadcasters in Europe as well. Something else that I think that is uh, going to become more important is connected TV. One of the big, well, not big, one of the trends in the States last year that 
wasn't reported hugely, but was nevertheless a trend, was increased viewing of connected television, you know, smart TVs. Everyone, the, the headlines and the focus was on the, you know, the, the growth of SVOD and AVOD, but watching web video through your television was also a massive beneficiary of lockdown last year. I mean, all the Nielsen data, you know, if you compare March 2020 compared to March the year before, you know, the Nielsen data for connected TV and smart TV use is almost, you know, it's almost doubled. It went up 81% year on year. You know, there's um, nearly 4 billion hours of connected TV consumption per week. And I think, again, in the same way that, that having um, OTT platforms is is allowing content to be, to, to go direct and cutting out the sort of the gatekeepers of old. I think the same thing happening with uh, smart TV. And we saw distributors, you know, forward thinking distributors like Endemol Shine Group doing deals directly with TV manufacturers like Samsung, Vizio to put their content directly onto those smart TVs. So yet they had channels dedicated to their own programming plans like Deal or No Deal, Wipeout, or they'd have their own channels like Sterling Drama, Real Truth Crime, DIY Daily, all based on their own content. And these channels are being sort of directly built into TV sets for people to watch on their on those smart TV services. So, you know, Insight, that Netherlands-based uh, factual producer, Insight TV is doing the same with its own channels called In Trouble and In Wonder. You know, I think it's a really interesting development you know, in parallel to the growth of, you know, video on demand is this sort of smart TV consumption and maybe more distributors will start building their own channels based on their own content and, and having direct relationships with, you know, smart TV and manufacturers like Samsung. Yeah, it takes yeah. away that kind of paradox of choice where you get paralysed by what to view if, if it's placed in a linear schedule as, as a lot of those channels are doing. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Nico. That's, that's, that's exactly right. And I think um, it just gives you a way to monetize your library, uh, which doesn't rely on doing a deal with a big global streamer. You know, you can take control of your own destiny, have your own channel, you know, who, and who knows, maybe the channel will become popular enough to you start producing original content for that channel, buying in third party content content to make it a, a channel that's actually, you know, sort of standing on its own two feet. And I, I think I want to just looking ahead to the rest of 2021, I think it's worth going back to some of the points I made earlier. They're just, I think it's going to be a great year for distributors, you know, producers, maybe not so they've got to carry all that extra cost of making their productions COVID safe. And they've got all the issues about insurance and so forth. But I think distributors are in a really good position because, you know, the studios are now focusing on their own channels, their own streaming services. So all those channels and platforms that used to buy from those companies are now suddenly thinking, well, we can't produce our own content as much as we want. Let's buy some more. So I think the third party market is, is, is you know, the acquisitions market is going to have a bit of a boom. And you were mentioning before about broadcasters working together in Europe and there's the also the EBU's drama initiative. And I think as well as realising that they need to increase budgets to work with streamers on a lot of projects, it's also replicating the streamers need for speed. And I think that's, uh, if we're talking about New Year's resolutions, I think that's going to be top of a lot of traditional or what were traditional broadcasters new year's resolutions is to to be a bit speedier and react quicker and commission quicker because we've seen how quick a company like netflix commissions and and how much power they put on individual execs with green lighting power is that a new year's resolution people can uh, can see happening i definitely think there's a there's a need for that whether it actually happens this year um, i think will remain to be seen particularly because of of covid really um anecdotally you're hearing productions adding 15 20 percent of their their budget on top for COVID proof in the production and that's inevitably leading to delays when you, you're cleaning sets and, and taking extended breaks um, during the day that inevitably hits the schedule and, and you're looking at one or two weeks of additional filming time remote editing takes time so there, there is a need for speed um, and maybe that some of the development can be speeded up but I think once you once the cameras are rolling there's the very real possibility that things are actually going to go slow 
lower. Um, so that's probably something that um, I think, particularly in the UK and, and Europe, that you know where productions are back in, back up and running, that they're dealing with and, and have got a quite a good handle on. Um, it's just, uh, I guess, speeding up other parts of the production might be might be key to, to getting the you know the commissioning ball rolling quicker and, and getting development further down the line before you know you start thinking about shooting and then that will just play out as best it can. As well as that, I think broadcasters, the the old gatekeepers, are having to slowly realise that they're not necessarily the first port of call for a hot project these days. And so the idea of them being able to sit on a on a pitch and sort of get back to you in a couple of months, which is you know some of the bigger broadcasters that might do, that, that's not going to happen. I think once they start realising that it's a, it's a seller's market, and if if somebody's put together, if a producer's put together a really hot package with a great scriptwriter, a great script, a great director, and they're pitching it out, just like in the states, everyone knows that everyone gets pitched on the same day, and the first one to get back to the producer with a with some money gets the project. You know that's the way it works in the states, and I think that model will start being felt around the UK and around Europe. All it takes is for a big incumbent broadcaster to start losing a few hot properties just because they didn't get back in time, and that whole sort of corporate culture will change because you know that nobody can afford to lose projects and they want to get on a project right at the get-go right in the early days so they can shape it and fashion it they don't want to be waiting till it's formed and then join the rest of the group bidding for it they want to get in on on the ground floor and 2020 was a year of reckoning for the tv industry and recognition that it needed to reflect a range of different people better both on and off screen and a lot of promises were made in 2020 and it's vital those are kept is it too soon to expect to see some of those changes already as we look ahead in 2021 uh, no I, I don't think it is um it, it is too soon i think you know a lot a lot's been said in 2020 and 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 you know the people are in place to to make the changes and the the creatives i think you know particularly on the creative side the talents the writers the directors the crew that are there it's i think it's just um a case of giving out chances and, and getting on with it because um you know the talents there the stories are there it's it's a case of doing it and i think it all was in place to uh, to get those commissions out and and build the staffs of crew and, and writers and 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 get it done so um, i think from a creative point of view it's it's there and we need to start seeing those changes uh, as quick as possible i definitely don't think it's too soon because people have been talking about it for so long now and i think there's there's a lot of pressure for those people to put their words into action every person that i've spoken to about the subject of diversity and in every session i've sat through where the topic has come up they've all been saying the same thing they've all been saying that they've been trying hard and that they've been implementing different things over the years to try and 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 make their workforces more diverse but that more needs to be done and every every single person has been saying that so I think there is a lot of pressure now for those people to actually be seeing their their promises through so I definitely don't think it's too soon. I suppose one thing to be mindful of later this month a a former reality tv star is going to be unemployed um, by the end of this month how soon do you think until we see Trump tv or or like the Obamas you know could he be looking at a, a first look deal with a with a streamer? I don't know. I think someone might be willing to do it. It's 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 hard because he's like he's either loved or hated, isn't he? I think someone would be willing to do it, and there'd definitely be a, an audience out there for it for sure. She said as well, who's to stop him from starting his own network? And he doesn't have to be on it twenty four seven, but certainly it can it can spew to his agenda. Certainly, if he's going to be announcing his re-election campaign on the, the same day as Joe Biden's uh, has his inauguration, as uh, we're led to believe, according to the rumours. So um, yeah, I, I don't certainly don't think it's the last we'll, we'll see of him on on tv that's for sure okay well we'll wrap up there ed clive carolina and mike thanks very much for joining me thank you thank you that's all for this episode 
There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and on social media. Thanks for listening.